0: But I, I think what, what has been most successful for me in my presidencies is that I have always looked to the ACCT for their, uh, the information that they have available. And then I made it possible, I think, for trustees to attend conferences. And when they see other trustees, they see those trustees in action, they become better advocates themselves.
1: This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This is the second episode in a series of episodes dedicated to the fundamentals of community college governance. In this series, Jackie King, co editor of the recently released Trusteeship in Community Colleges A Guide for Effective Governance, second edition, interviews chapter authors about how to govern. In this episode, Dr. Karen Rafinsky discusses board accountability and advocacy. Dr. Rafinsky is president emeriti of Clark State Community College. Over her 16 years at the helm of the college, enrollment more than doubled, CSCC expanded to more locations and developed closer ties with local businesses. She has also served as the interim president for the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Between her CSCC presidency and her previous presidencies at higher education institutions in Minnesota, Rafinsky has spent more than 26 years as CEO at three institutions and 41 years in higher education. To purchase Trusteeship in Community Colleges, a guide for effective governance, second edition, visit the ACCT bookstore online.
2: My name is Jackie King. I am one of the co-editors of that volume, and I am joined today by Karen Rafinsky, uh, who is one of the authors, um, uh, of the a chapter in um, ACCT's a- a- new book and Karen thank you so much for joining us today
0: we really appreciate it you are most welcome it's been uh, it's been a fun assignment I think and uh, I, I loved it and um, uh, anxious to kind of share and it was so interesting I think to see the interface among the chapters as we put it all together yeah' uh, a great experience so I enjoyed it. That I did too, it was a lot of fun. It was a great group of authors to work with. So
2: Karen authored the chapter on board uh, accountability and advocacy. So we'll dive right in and, and share some information that will hopefully give you a sense of the chapter and pique your interest to read the whole thing because this is a very practical book full of uh, really useful information that trustees can put into practice every day in their roles. And uh, we can't possibly cover all of it, but we'll try our best to give you a flavor of what you will um, see when you uh, dive into the book itself. So Karen, you do a great job in your chapter of describing all the external and internal groups that have a stake in a community college um, and to which a college may need to be accountable. Um, How can a board member consider the needs and viewpoints of so many different groups without becoming fragmented.
0: Wow, it's, you know that's a wonderful question. I think I kind of boil it down to it's a fine balancing act. Um, I remember orienting uh, new new uh, trustees as they came onto the board, and that sometimes I felt, in my, particularly my initial years of the presidency, I thought, wow, this is like a fire hose. <laughs> Uh, what do I start with? And over the years, then, I think I kind of refined it and let it kind of work itself out. And one was, you know, in stressing the importance of the accountability aspect, talking with them more directly about the mission and goals, vision and values of the college. So, more importantly, to catch the energy of the community college. And then starting with their fiduciary responsibilities. As well, and many of them, of course, are, uh, there's a reason they get on the board, uh, whether they're appointed by the governor or the county commissioners or elected. Um, There's a reason they get on this board and that's because they are already connected in this community. So I sit back and try to figure out those connections and what they bring to the board and what kind of complement it is. And I begin then to talk about the fiduciary, but all of the, uh, many of them serve on other not-for-profit boards. And so they are familiar with the loyalty, care, and obedience that are there as hallmarks of all nonprofit boards. And kind of talk about each one of those and what it means to us. Uh, And uh, so I think it's part of the training. And I think ultimately uh, the processes themselves that you set up with the board, whether it's board evaluation at the end of a year, uh, whether it's the presidential evaluation Whether it's uh, them contributing to key performance indicators, whether it's assessment of student learning, whether it's benchmarking or looking at financial ratios, I think all those are really important in um, kind of getting them the scope of the activity. And it's really important that you begin to pull those trustees in then to actually um, have input into each of those areas. And so there is a method then of evaluating at the end. And if you have these solid processes in place, I think uh, it does prevent fragmentation. And then be satisfied with over some time, you're going to continue to orient them. So it's never really over. And, but you don't wanna do the fire hose thing. You don't want them drowning in information uh, and really trying to develop their knowledge base of both community colleges, our processes, our accountabilities, uh, and our advocacy.
2: Great. Now that's, that's fantastic. And I, I imagine too that uh, committees are helpful, right, because that allows a board member to develop a bit of a specialization based on the committees
0: to which they apply. Yes. Respond. And of course, that's very beneficial to the president, you know, to actually Uh, that allows them to spread the information out of it. So it's not so quite so overwhelming. So some have natural affinities to fiduciary and and a lot of the trustees love uh, looking at the finances and it's very tangible, uh, easy to, more easy perhaps to evaluate. Um, But it's very important I think to specialize as well into each of those arenas. And that way they can be rely on each other uh, as they move forward.
2: It's a great point. Um, you encourage trustees to stay connected to their communities in your chapter. Do you have any advice for how trustees can do that without falling into the traps of appearing to speak on behalf of the full board or of being beholden to a particular interest group?
0: Yeah, it's a good question as well. The, um, uh, what I usually do with the, with the board orientation is try to figure out where my fingers are in the community already, uh, including the backgrounds of each one of those trustees and what they bring to the board, and uh, identifying those external agencies that are our stakeholders. And then also looking internal to the organization to find out where our administrative staff, for example, uh, what fingers do they have in the community? Uh, in fact, it, it could be possible that you would have a mayor. Um, who's on your faculty. And so you have a different kind of, uh, so it's looking to where those fingers are and then seeking the common interests and then uh, bringing home the point that we speak in a single voice and it is through the chair of the trustees and through the president. And so before they make any promises, uh, they we, we have to have a forum for them to be able to to uh, share the information they've, they Collect in this, in meeting with this external constituent group and see if there is a connection. And there often is. Uh, For example, some of the connections we've made is when you're celebrating something for the community, um, doing it as a collaborative. A lot of not for profits uh, can certainly benefit from diversity training or um, uh, some of the. the uh, areas that we've had difficulty in the community with uh, firearms and lockdowns and all of that kind of thing, I think, are all po- potential opportunities that really don't cost you much in the institution. But you've got to be, I think, really really uh, con- uh, in the orientation of trustees and the continuing training of a trustees uh, to really refer back to the mission. I always compare it to Inside the organization, you may have a tr- uh, may have a faculty member who's excellent in one aspect of the curriculum. And maybe it's some aspect of history and suddenly you find your, your history offerings are huge and you really don't have much in the arts anymore. And so it's kind of keeping that balance, that balancing act as you move back and forth um, to make sure you don't have a proliferation of any, or letting one institution or one stakeholder drive the agenda and that you really do have a balanced uh, approach. And you work on that by having the trustees help you figure that out at the beginning of every year, or perhaps in a retreat um, would be able to identify, these are the things we think are most important to us. These we think are more the president's role. And the more you clarify that, I think the um, the better off you are. As a, as a president, I always use the three-legged stool uh, analogy. and. And one is I want to have a relationship with each one of those trustees. And I want the trustees to gain the knowledge that of the the potential of the scope of the information that they have to have as trustees. And then most importantly, I want them to be able to develop relationships with each other. So you have this solid kind of way of approaching issues and they develop more of a unity with uh, each of them. And that stabilizes, I think, and seeks common interest. In, and uh, um, and then we discuss boundaries uh, a lot as well. But I think having them involved in the decision-making, have them involved deeply in policy setting, those are the critical things I think that you need to really uh, develop an action plan for the board.
2: That's fantastic. And, and I imagine that... Um... Taking advantage of the advantage of things like a board retreat, I always think of that. A challenge for trustees at, uh, when they arrive on a public college board is the open meeting laws. They may have been trustees of, uh, they may have been on the board of a private company or a private nonprofit organization, and they're used to being able to meet in private and, you know, air all the issues and have sort of freewheeling conversation. And uh, it's an interesting balancing act that you you wanna promote that accountability, but at the same time, you are meeting in public.
0: Um, Right, it is one of the unique things that you have to work uh, in more detail with the Board of Trustees about the Sunshine Law and what it means. And of course, different states have different aspects of it. So um, you must clearly, uh, and it often, uh, a presentation, usually within the board meeting itself, I, I usually try to have a presentation by the, one of the internal group. And so they learn, continue to learn about the college. But there's also a point where we invite um, trustees to interchange with each other. And so sometimes bringing uh, a lawyer in and talking about the state sunshine law and, and what it means to them. And, and, and I think it also is an opportunity for staff training Uh, as well. It's an important aspect. I'm glad you brought that up because it is one of the key things that we do in our orientation. That's great. You describe a number of different levels of
2: accountability, uh, including accreditation, which is probably the most unfamiliar to trustees. Can you say a little bit about what accreditation is and,
0: and the role that trustees should play in that process? Now, of course, every president is very attuned to it, but you're right. It's probably less uh, visible among the trustees. It actually is uh, accreditation is an official certification of a college, of a course, of a program within the college that shows it has met the standards of the industry as set by external regulators. That's kind of what the definition is. The most important thing trustees need to know about that though, is that the college has a responsibility to meet those standards and they have a role to play. They need to know, I think trustees need to know that it's a cyclical kind of uh, exercise. So they need to ask the key accreditation questions like when were you accredited? How long does it last? When will you be reaccredited, What were the results? Was the college placed under any sanctions? Well, how did the college respond to the concerns of the accreditation? And then finally, what implications would it have for us in policy? Uh, And because they do set the policy of the college and there could be lots of, you know, accreditations are very much learning experiences and each of them is a little different. There are six different regions, of course, in the United States that that uh, credit colleges and universities. And and they're all alike in many, many ways and and different in some ways. Um, And as we move through the process, there's also then the federal government who's much more interfaced than they ever have been before in the the history of higher education with federal compliance issues since they issue that important uh, Title IV monies. And, and that becomes another thing that trustees need to be aware of so that they realize that across the United States, there are some regulations uh, about you know, credits, what they mean, uh, the length of programs, uh, transfer policies among these institutions of higher education, and how the, what the expectation for compliance is. And so these are all things trustees learn over time Uh, but really important to keeping the institution moving. I think also they need to understand that accreditation is not an inexpensive venture. So if they want, like I remember having uh, an engineer uh, that was on my board of trustees and he wanted to get our program certified. And so we went and did some research and, and they know then, of course, the external regulators say you must have a certain faculty student ratio. You must have X number of basic equipment, and and so they realize that this is not an inexpensive venture. So there is money, uh, large in some cases, large amounts of money, particularly in your accreditation year, um, that needs to happen. And so they become aware then, and and, and, as, and as trustees do with uh, the idea of following the money. And in many ways, it's true. How is the college currently spending their money? Uh, how have they budgeted? Uh, how has um, the uh, spending of the dollars met the budget? Where is there uh, a shortfall? And uh, what caused the shortfall? You know, it answers a lot of basic questions about uh, the uh, college itself. So uh, those are all important parts, I think, in accreditation and compliance and uh, the uh, noting of external agencies. And colleges learn over time that since these processes are so extensive, you know, a self-study is not an easy document. Uh, and oftentimes they have to do it two or three times. If they're accrediting programs and accrediting, uh, uh, doing college accreditation, they look for an alignment of doing it at the same time so that it does become so overwhelming to the staff and faculty that are putting the information together. Um, so it's absolutely a critical piece. Uh, they need to learn more, but not all at once, not in the fire hose, I think it, it just, uh, as time permits, uh, as programs become accredited. Yeah, and, and
2: gaining an appreciation that there's, uh, there's regulations and compliance required at everything from the local level with building codes and other kinds of local uh, rules and regulations all the way up to the federal. And certainly, of course, yes. the state's playing a major role. So uh, appreciating the fact that the colleges are impacted by all these different levels of, of government, as well as external agencies like accrediting agencies. Uh, it gives trustees, I think, an appreciation for the complex regulatory landscape in which colleges operate.
0: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's a good point. Good point with the building, uh, all the building issues, yeah, as well. Yeah,
2: every, you know, soup to nuts. I mean, there's just, it's just yeah, everything. It I think. Um, I heard once, and I don't know if this is if this is still true, but that the only federal agency that doesn't, in some way, regulate colleges and universities is the Securities and Exchange Commission. <laughs> Every other true. federal agency touches higher ed in some way. Whether if you have Wait. a public radio station on your campus, you get the Federal Communications commu- Commission to you know. Uh, uh, you have a motor pool. <laughs> That's the transportation right. department. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Right. Um, yeah. It's so a point. Th- that uh, that connects then into the other a word in your chapter, which is advocacy. So along with all of this regulation comes, of course, also uh, funding in many cases. And, uh, and advocacy. And so being an advocate for the college at the local, state, and even the federal level is an extremely important role of trustees and, and one that they may not fully appreciate until they're in the, in the job. Um, as a president, how did you like to engage trustees in advocacy?
0: Oh, wow. It is like the important thing uh, to, build, to build that support network. Throughout the community, and that's so tight that nothing falls through. That you've got a connection everywhere in every one of those stakeholder groups is is critical for a presidential success story as well. Um, so it's it's starting with the board orientation. I think retreats that focus on it and how do we become better advocacy. But I I think what what has been most successful for me in my presidencies is that I have always looked to the ACCT for their, uh, the information that they have available. And then I made it possible, I think, for trustees to attend conferences, the fall conference and the legislative seminar because they became key issues. And when they see other trustees, whether they're elected or appointed, um, they see those trustees in action, they become better advocates themselves. And they sit through presentations where they see it. So um, what I try to get in their hands is the trustee quarterly, a magazine that they can find about current issues. To when you get into the legislative seminar, of course, you can get the uh, legislative priorities, um, other, uh, other kinds of advocacy ideas. And then I always involve them bringing the legislators on campus. And I think the one thing that I always stress when we bring legislators on campus is that each of these legislators are their own people and they have their own identity and their own special things that they're after. They're on committees that they have worked hard to get on. And it's it's important for them to talk about what their priorities are so that you can begin in your head to think about where we can connect. And uh, so listening to where they're at and, and then figuring out where we have where we could possibly build common ground and work on common projects. That's what um, I think is most critical as you bring them on campus, as well as getting them uh, interested in what's going on in campus and making them knowledgeable. But those multiple ways of doing that uh, other than the visit as well. And so that strong connection is, um, um, and that's often what uh, I found some of the trustees wanted to form their own legislative committee to keep in touch with uh, the, their legislators, state and federal, um, and, uh, and very effective, I think. And then I think it, it can't hurt to have these students come in front of trustees, in front of legislators, and provide their testimonials. Wow, and it talks about the importance of that federal financial aid. It talks, they talk about what the community college has meant to them, how it's helped them in their career to have businesses uh, come in and say, this is what the college has done. They've crafted a brand new curriculum that'll help uh, me get uh, talented workers to accomplish what I have in mind in my business. And then I think the, the traditional economic impact study, I think is real critical as you move forward. Uh, to, to really tell the story through finances, uh, what, kind, what this means to the college and, and what it means to the community and the various communities, I think, as we have. And uh, it all helps advance the college image. And that's what we're about, uh, advancing our image uh, and helping students help their futures and helping businesses find those workers. And, uh, and so it's all part of the, the big picture and, and absolutely necessary, I think, in order to really move forward with a strong amnesty program.
2: Absolutely. And it can be one of the most enjoyable parts of being a trustee, uh, getting to right. visit the state house, visit the Capitol, meet the legislators, tell the story, help tell the story of the college. Um, I think it's an element of being a trustee that probably many of them would say is among the most enjoyable aspects of the job. Uh, yes,
0: so, very very much so. That's wonderful.
2: Uh, well, I hope today that uh, we've given you a bit of a flavor of what you will read in Karen's chapter. It's fantastic. And uh, I just want to thank you for making time to be with us today. It's been really uh, so enjoyable to, to talk with you and to Hear your perspectives as a very experienced community college president. So
0: we really appreciate it. You're most welcome, and it's been enjoyable for me as well. And I know the book will. Uh, it provided me insights reading the other chapters and looking at the interface and how I look at, um, you know, making trustees stronger in their role, making presidents stronger in their role as well.
1: To purchase Trusteeship in Community Colleges, a Guide for Effective Governance, second edition, visit the ACCT bookstore online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.